There's even reference that I don't remember when my son died. How in the hell dare he raise that? Frankly, when I was asked the question, I thought to myself, it wasn't any of their damn business. Let me tell you something. Some of you have commented, I wear since the day he died, every single day, the rosary he got from Our Lady of... Every Memorial Day, we hold a service remembering him, attending by friends and family and the people who loved him. I don't need anyone. I don't need anyone to remind me when he passed away or passed away. All right. That's a Joe Biden. You could tell he's angry. Uh, that's his response to the uh, report that Robert Heard, the special counsel, came out with, in which he says that President Biden is a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. He says a lot of other things, and Joe Biden's very mad, and he's certainly mad about uh, Mr. about Robert Hurst saying that he couldn't remember the death of his son, well, the date of the death of his son. But only, when you read the report, he says, actually, even within a few years, he can't remember. So I'm not here to debate his memory. I'm here to talk about his character. And I think you'll see that he is, um, it's not, Normally, you know, you'd have so much sympathy, and I hope that you do, for people who are losing their memory and getting older. That's just part of, that's something that we all face as part of the human experience. But in the case of Joe Biden, there's such an arrogance and a, a thought that he is still uh, on his game. He insists. He wants to be the nominee for president again. He uh, He's just uh, out of touch with reality, and that's why this discussion. But, of course, there's a lot more today. We're going to talk about... Uh, Fannie Willis, uh, she could be disqualified uh, from the case that she's prosecuting, the the, um, RICO case that she's prosecuting against President Trump and several other defendants, including Jenna Ellis. Uh, That's very fascinating. We're going to talk about that, too. We're going to talk about the Colorado ballot situation, which has gone to the Supreme Court. There are a lot of moving parts that I can't think of a better guest to discuss all of it than Mike Davis, who will join us in just a second. Oh, and by the way, this is Sandy Rios of Sandy Rios 24-7. You can call us at 662-821-2040, or you can email us at Sandy at AFR.net. You can listen to the show on any podcast platform at AFR.net. That's our home platform. You can go to SandyRios.com and find it or, you know, Spotify, Apple, whatever you listen to. There it is. Also, our Facebook page is kind of uh, revitalizing. It's Sandy Rios 24-7. We'd love to have you join us on that. If you are a Twitterer, or an Xer, depending on what you want to say now, uh, my Twitter handle is at Sandy. Rios tweets. But first, you know, this is Valentine's week. uh, And of course, that makes us think of hearts, does make me think of hearts. My husband presented me a beautiful Valentine and roses this morning. Um, And we do kind of refer to our hearts as the center of our emotion. A heartbeat is a baby's only defense in the womb. At five weeks, a baby's heartbeat can be heard on ultrasound. And that's why Preborn steps in, rescuing 200 babies every day from abortion simply by providing a mother with a free ultrasound and allowing her to hear her child's heartbeat and see their perfectly formed body in the womb. By six weeks, the baby's eyes are forming, and by 10 weeks, a baby's able to suck his or her thumb. You know, this is what the ultrasound reveals, and that's what you're in the business of providing for these moms so they can make a better choice. Go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy and make your most generous donation. All right, well, take a pen and paper because today is going to be complicated, but good. And I hope by the time you listen to Mike Davis, you'll have a better understanding of what's happening in all of these challenges and conflagrations of a broken justice system on Sandy Rios 24-7. From American Family Radio, Sandy Rios. We are not called to be nice. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. I think the most important thing we need to demonstrate to our children is genuineness. That we actually believe what we say we believe. A longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. Seek justice. Not social justice, but God's justice. What's right and what's wrong. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. We've got to say this is the line. Life is sacred. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up. Speak up. Say something. 
do something. <laughs> what law school did you attend, and where did you place in that class? And the other question oh, is, yes. could you quickly... I, I think, we I, I, think I probably have a much higher IQ than you do, I suspect. I went to law school on a full academic scholarship, the only one in my, in my class uh, to have a full academic scholarship. In the first year in law school, I decided I didn't want to be in law school and ended up in the bottom two-thirds of my class and then decided I wanted to stay, went back to law school, and in fact ended up in the top half of my class. I won the international moot court competition. I was the outstanding student in the political science department at the end of my year. I graduated with three degrees from undergraduate school and 165 credits, only needed 123 credits, and I'd be delighted to sit down and compare my IQ to yours if you'd like, Frank. Oh, that was an amazing performance by Joe Biden, candidate Joe Biden in 1987, facing reporters who don't sound like the reporters today for some reason. And I have to tell you, without going through every jot and tittle, everything he said was a lie. Everything he said was a lie. He was such a liar, he had to drop out of the race. Perhaps some of you didn't know that. So when we hear him fumbling as an elderly man, not remembering and uh, having things not comport with reality, this is the way he's conducted himself through all his years of public life, ever since I've been watching him and following him. So that's Joe Biden, the candidate, 1987. You know, I'm smarter than you. I have all these degrees. So that's kind of the foundation. If you think he's changed a lot and he just can't help it because, you know, an elder gentleman, it's not true. That is the way he is. Well, of course, um, Robert Hur uh, charged, just re- released his special report, and he basically said um, that Biden willfully retained and disclosed classified materials after his vice presidency when he was a private c- citizen. And then he included classified documents about military and foreign policy in Afghanistan and handwritten notes about national security and foreign policy, implicating sensitive intelligence sources and methods and also that he gave classified or shared classified national defense information to his ghostwriter. Okay, that's the main points, points I think. And so uh, I've asked Mike Davis to join us this morning. Mike is the former chief counsel for nominations to the Senate Judiciary Committee under Chairman Chuck Grassley. He's the one who ushered through the uh, Brett Kavanaugh nomination, the nightmare of that. He's the founder and president of Artic- the Article Three Project. That's a 3 and we commend it to you, all of their work. They, uh, they defend constitutionals, judges, and the rule of law. And with that long introduction, Mike, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. All right, so there's some debate. You know, a lot of people are talking now after Robert Hurt, Hurt made that announcement like uh, a week before we we're having this conversation. Um, do you think that his report was good or bad, Mike? I mean, some say he his conclusions were terrible. Others inadequate, and others say he should never have said the personal things he said about Joe Biden. I just want to know what you think. Well, it's amazing with Robert Hurwood. He was selected by Merrick Garland to be the special counsel. I knew that he was going to cover up for Joe Biden. I know Robert Hur. Uh, he's part of the Rod Rosenstein, Chris Ray, James Comey cabal. He was hand-selected by both Maryland's Democrat senators to be the U.S. attorney in Maryland. I held up his nomination when I was the chief counsel on the Senate Judiciary Committee because I just knew he was part of that cabal. Um, And so it was unsurprising that Robert Hur found pretty strong evidence that President Biden violated the Espionage Act and other statutes, including obstruction of justice, and then covered up for him. And so I don't know why the Biden people are so upset about this. The alternative to uh, the alternative for Robert Hur would have been to recommend an indictment of President Biden, which would have been a much bigger disaster for Biden than stating the obvious that he's a demented, uh, you know, he's a, he, 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 his mind is very much diminished as the president of the United States and anyone and everyone who has brain. Well, let me read, let me her, read Hur's words in case people didn't follow this, because this is very important to all of us. Her said, in his own words, uh, he is a sympathetic, well-meaning, elderly man with a poor memory who would probably behave the same with a jury, thereby sowing reasonable doubt and a sense that Biden made an innocent mistake in keeping the documents. Um, you know, that sounds so much like James Comey. 
It really does, uh, Mike. It just sounds like uh, I don't. I'm surprised that a special counsel would make that kind of an assessment. Don't you guys deal with the law and not like uh, your emotional dis- assessment as whether someone someone can stand under trial? Is that part of the special counsel's purview? Well, I mean, that's the problem with this Robert Hur. He's part of James Comey's world. He's part, he's yeah. one of James Comey's proteges, right? So it doesn't surprise any. It shouldn't surprise anyone that Robert Hur put out this mealy mouth report. It's very clear that Joe Biden committed espionage. It's very clear that he obstructed justice. It's very clear that he used these stolen classified records. Uh, he had five stashes of stolen classified records unguarded for years, moved several times accessible by their Chinese agent, the Biden's Chinese agent, and almost certainly used by Hunter to secure $10 million in Burisma funding for the Bidens, along with likely other money from China, from Russia, Ukraine, Kazakhstan. And what happens? You you had the Biden Justice Department secretly working with President Biden and his personal attorneys to gather these documents while while Joe Biden and Merrick Garland concocted a bogus pretext to, to do a home raid on President Trump for presidential records he's allowed to have in the congressionally funded and heavily guarded office of former president under the Presidential Records Act. This is all a distraction. It's all a charade. And the fact that Merrick Garland is pursuing president trump for presidential records he's allowed to have under the presidential records act while he's ignoring president biden for his stolen classified records that he's definitely not allowed to have let alone use it just shows that we have a politicized and weaponized justice system because remember at the end of the day you can have these special counsel whether it's jack smith with trump or robert her with biden but at the end of the day it is merrick garland as the attorney general who decides whether to charge or not charge. Well, of course, Biden came out with the uh, so-called press conference and made his statement. He lost his temper. I'm going to play a couple of clips in a minute. What I didn't play was kind of right out of the box. Uh, he starts in on Trump. Uh, my situation is nothing. He volunteers this. Nothing like Trump's. Trump's a criminal, and you know he, he refused to cooperate, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, you're the attorney, and I know you have a bias. Nevertheless, I know you're fair. And so what is the contrast? Help people understand why these cases are different. The classified documents, accusations against these men are different. Well, they're different in the sense that Trump had the legal right under the Presidential Records Act to have his presidential records. And presidential records are any documents created or received by the president and his White House staff. And that includes classified documents sent to advise the president. Those are presidential records. Do we really think that we're going to trust the president of the United States with our most classified secrets? And then when we send those documents to the office of former president that's guarded 24-7, 365 by the Secret Service, that we're all of a sudden not supposed to, to trust that president? Contrast that with the vice president. He doesn't have the office of the vice president. He doesn't have Secret Service protection for life like presidents do. He's not allowed to have these presidential records. And Biden had not only presidential records from Obama as vice president, Biden had stolen classified records from his time as the Senate. I mean, I had a security clearance. I remember going into the Senate skiff. It is very, it is, I don't know how Biden managed to steal classified records as a senator. That means he must have like stuffed them down his pants like Sandy Berger did. I mean, it is unbelievable that Joe Biden had stolen classified records as a senator. And it's not like he just had these stored away and forgotten in old boxes. He was using these. He There is evidence he was using these with Hunter Biden to secure, to write a 23-point memo, as Miranda Devine at the New York Post reported. Hunter Biden wrote a 23-point memorandum to secure Burisma funding. This was about the geopolitics of Ukraine. How the hell would Hunter Biden, a crackhead with no backgrounds in Ukraine, come up with a 23-page, 23-point memo on the geopolitics of Ukraine, but for the fact that he's using classified information that that Joe Biden stole? 
Um, that's a good question. And I want to just say again what you just said. The big difference, of course, besides the Presidential Records Act, is that Joe Biden has documents from when, as you just said, he was a senator. He had no right to those documents. It's certainly a crime for him to take them home. And he had documents as a vice president who does not have ever the protections of a president in the Presidential Records Act. And, but now I, this brings me to this because right after he said that, you know, it's, he's, uh, Trump is much worse. His case is much worse and he's angry. He goes into this. He's asked if he, do you take responsibility? For those uh, documents, those top secret documents being in your garage and torn uh, torn boxes and being available to people if they want to access them, do you take responsibility for that? And this was his response, number five. I take responsibility for not having seen exactly what my staff was doing. There's, it goes in and points out. Things that appeared in my garage, things that came out of my home, things that were moved, were moved not by me, but my staff, but my staff. First of all, what I would have done is overseen the transfer of the material that was in my office, in my offices. I should have done that. If I go back, I didn't have the responsibility to that. That was my staff was supposed to do that, and they referenced that in the report. And my staff did not do it in the way that for example, I didn't know how half the boxes got in my garage until I found out staff gathered them up, put them together, and took them to the garage in my home. And all the stuff that was in my home was in filing cabinets that were either locked or able to be locked. It was in my house. It wasn't out in, like, in Mar-a-Lago in a public place where, and none of it was high classified. It didn't have any of that red stuff on it. You know what I mean? Around the corners? None of that. And so I wish I had paid more attention to how the documents were being moved and where. I thought they were being moved to the archives. I thought all of it was being moved. That's what I thought. Okay, so that's a combination. He, he addressed this thing of his staff being at fault for this twice. And, Mike, I'm guessing that's what Miranda Devine was responding to in her article. I didn't get to read that. So, so just say again what the truth is on that issue. That is just a flat-out lie that he's blaming his staff, and it just shows you what a bad human being that Joe Biden is. He's trying to blame his staff. He had five sets of stolen classified records from his time as vice president and as a senator. They were moved several times to several unguarded locations. They were accessible by their Chinese agent. They were uh, almost certainly used by Hunter to secure millions of dollars in foreign bribes and other corruption for the Biden family. Hunter was the bagman. And remember when his when Joe Biden's ghostwriter was recording Joe Biden's conversations, Joe Biden specifically talked about how this is classified information he's illegally disclosing to his ghostwriter. And when Merrick Garland appointed Robert Hur as the special counsel to look at this, the ghostwriter deleted the tapes of the conversations with Joe Biden, where Joe Biden is intentionally, willfully disclosing classified information to his ghostwriter. Joe Biden is a liar, right? It just proves that he's a liar here. And contrast that with President Trump. He's allowed to have his presidential records in the office of former president. That is why Congress gives them the office of former president. That is why Congress gives them Secret Service Protection for Life. That is why Congress gives them federally funded staff in the the office of former president, because they have to go through their presidential records, including classified presidential records, as as part of their duties as a former president. For example, former presidents have to look at FOIA requests to determine whether they're going to withhold documents from public disclosure for a certain amount of time or publicly release them. And that requires that they have their presidential records, including their classified presidential records. All right, so now back to President Trump, because he's facing, I think, 91 criminal accounts, and one of them is on these on the documents that he had at Mar-a-Lago. And honestly, Mike, I don't know the status of that case. Can you tell us where that is now, those charges against him, and where, that, where the process is? Well, I mean, it's, the process is going through a normal process down there because Judge Eileen Cannon is ensuring... That, that, that President Trump, like any other criminal defendant, is getting a fair process. And that's very much angering 
Joe Biden and Merrick Garland and Jack Smith and these Democrat operatives who just want to railroad President Trump on bogus charges for espionage, for records Trump is allowed to have under the Presidential Records Act. They want to try to get him, get him convicted before the presidential election. Remember, Joe Biden and Merrick Garland waited 30 months to bring these bogus charges against President Trump through Jack Smith on the January 6th case and the Mar-a-Lago case. And now they're trying to get these judges to ram through these criminal proceedings as quickly as they can. They don't care if there are discovery issues, if there are due process issues, if there are presidential immunity issues. Biden and Garland and Jack Smith's sole goal is to get a criminal conviction of President Trump before November 5th, 2024, because they know they can't beat Trump on Election Day, so they simply want to throw him in prison. All right, uh, changing the subject only to a different issue with President Trump, because this is so complex, and if we didn't care so much about what happens to him, because he probably will be the nominee, uh, maybe we could even uh, someday find this all uh, in a dark way amusing, because it's ridiculous, the number of cases that have been brought against him, and it's tragic to see how they are draining him and his resources and his family. But let's go to your home state, because in your home state of Colorado, Mike, of course, you know that they've been trying to remove President Trump from the presidential ballot. I want to play uh, a clip from your Secretary of State, uh, Gina Griswold. Let's just listen because she made a statement out in front of the Supreme Court just a few days ago. Here it is. We just concluded oral arguments in the Trump v. Anderson case, and it's striking just steps away from the U.S. Capitol where Donald Trump incited an insurrection, a violent mob, where Congress people ran for their lives. Donald Trump argued that all insurrectionists can be on ballots and that even if he was convicted of insurrection, that he has presidential immunity. Uh, I think it's just so outrageous that Trump continues to think that he is above the law, above the Constitution, and above the court system. All right, Secretary of State Jeannie Griswold from Colorado. Mike, just what, what, what do you think about that? What's going on? Well, I'm a Colorado resident. I split my time between D.C. and Colorado. I spend as little time as I can in D.C. <laughs> and as much time as I can in Colorado. And I know Colorado Secretary of State Jenna Griswold. Let's just say that she's not the smartest human being on the planet, right? And what she just said is just laughably dumb as a matter of law, right? In order to disqualify an office holder under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment passed 155 years ago to chase out of office those who engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the Union during the Civil War. Congress has to pass a federal criminal statute for insurrection or rebellion with a uh, disqualification clause, which Congress has done. It's been on the books for 155 years. The last updated version was in 1948. So if they want to disqualify President Trump under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment for insurrection or rebellion... Uh, the House Democrats and the Biden Justice Department, including Jack Smith, spent tens of millions of dollars hunting for evidence of insurrection. It does not exist uh, because how many insurrectionists go unarmed into a nation's capital, get to the Senate floor, walk through velvet ropes, follow police direction, take selfies and don't burn down the place. January 6th was a lawful protest permitted by the National Park Service that devolved into a riot. The only way you can disqualify under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment is to bring federal criminal charges for insurrection or rebellion, get a federal grand jury to indict, a federal jury to unanimously find guilt with evidence beyond a reasonable doubt, a federal judge to convict, and that conviction upheld by federal appellate judges on appeal. That's the only way you disqualify under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. That is, according to precedent, from then-Chief Justice Solomon Chase and the Griffins case 155 years ago. And if you listened to that oral argument last Thursday, it's not going to be a 6-3 to three case. It's probably going to be 8-1 to one or even 9 to nothing because you've heard even Justice Elena Kagan and Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson, two leftists who obviously don't like Trump, who find this insurrection disqualification theory by the Democrats to be absurd on its face. Yeah, and the other thing is not a single person of all the thousands now, I think it's, uh, I don't know, maybe it's approaching 2,000 
people that have been charged in on J6. No one was charged with insurrection. That no one was. So she's saying, as a matter of fact, that President Trump is an insurrectionist, and you just pointed out how foolish that is. So my question for you is, why then, um, why are the attorneys arguing, leaning so heavily on the um, the immunity clause, uh, rather than just saying what you just said, using the case against him being an insurrectionist, that there's no evidence that the, all the things you just laid out, wouldn't that have been a stronger argument or no? Yeah, I mean, you make they've made both arguments, but the the immunity, presidential immunity, gets immediately appealed. It's immediately decided. Oh, I see. And then, okay. and it's and the case is stayed while the issue is resolved. So there's no chance that Jack Smith is going to get this criminal case resolved before the presidential election because there's the issue of presidential immunity, and this is an important issue. Uh, for the separation of powers, and it's so much bigger than Donald Trump. And this is where the Democrats are being being very, very short-sighted. Members of Congress, through the speech or debate clause in the Constitution, are immune both civilly and criminally for their official acts, including the outer perimeter of their official acts under Supreme Court case law in Nixon from 40 years ago. Federal judges are immune both criminally and civilly for their official acts, including the outer perimeter again. Presidents right now just have established civil immunity uh, under the Nixon case from 40 years ago. They have not yet, the courts have not yet established that, that presidents have criminal immunity because a president has never been criminally charged until Joe Biden and these Democrat uh, prosecutors brought these bogus indictments against President Trump, four bogus indictments against President Trump. So the Supreme Court is going to have to take this case on whether a president or former president can be criminally charged for their official actions while they were the president of the United States. And this is why it's so important. If you think that you can charge President Trump for his official actions, what happens when we have the Trump 47 Justice Department and the Trump 47 Justice Department wants to bring capital murder charges against President Barack Obama and now Judge David Barron, who was Barack Obama's uh, one of his top legal advisors in the Justice Department, when they uh, conspired to order a drone strike on two American citizens, mm-hmm. including a 17-year-old. That would be capital murder for these extrajudicial murder of two American citizens if the president does not have immunity from criminal prosecution for his official acts, right? Or how about the Trump 47 Justice Department bringing criminal charges against Joe Biden and Secretary Mayorkas and others for their intentional uh, dereliction of duty, their, their intentional disregard of federal law when they are mass importing and mass releasing illegally these uh, un- these unvetted migrants including dangerous migrants from dangerous places in the world, and then the resulting rapes and murders and kidnappings and fentanyl deaths. Can can Joe Biden and Mayorkas and others be charged for, be criminally culpable for those deaths, for manslaughter, or even worse, like for felony murder, right? Do do the Democrats really want to go down this path where you can have a president, of the United States prosecute his predecessor for the predecessor's official acts as the president of the United States. It will destroy the presidency if the Supreme Court does not establish this. Okay, Mike, just because I'm a little confused, not about what you just said, but about the Supreme Court's role right now. So there are two cases. The one is Colorado removing him from the ballot, and of course all the other states, as I understand it, who have tried to do that have failed, at least most of them. So I'm assuming the president is the one who appealed to the Supreme Court. And then we've got the, uh, the, the insurrection, um, the other case that's being brought before the Supreme Court. So they're different. So one is arguing presidential immunity, but how, the, how about the Colorado uh, booting him off the ballot? What's the argument there? That's that's the, the that's the argument that in order to, that President Trump, the Colorado Supreme Court, in a four to three decision, the Colorado Supreme Court has seven Democrats because Republicans just lost control of Colorado when they legalized weed and uh, all the dirt balls from California and New York moved to Colorado and it went all blue. So the Colorado Supreme Court is seven Democrats. 
four of the most radical of these Democrats in a four to three decision picked Trump off the ballot here in Colorado based upon an insurrection that supposedly occurred on January 6th, right? So Trump appealed that Colorado Supreme Court decision to the U.S. Supreme Court, and he's going to win there handily. It's going to be eight to one or nine to nothing. And that the argument's going to be that we have this, the Supreme Court, I think, is going to hold that if you want to disqualify, you have to use this 155 year old precedent and bring federal criminal charges for insurrection or rebellion. There's no evidence that happened. That didn't happen here. So that case is easily kicked. The January 6th case with Jack Smith, there's also a January 6th case down in Fulton County, Georgia with Fannie Willis. Those cases on January 6th, President Trump has asserted presidential immunity. And he, he has said that it is his job as the president of the United States to take care that federal law is executed, right? And that's absolutely true. So when he is inquiring about voter fraud or when he's contemplating replacing his attorney general because the attorney general is not looking into voter fraud, those are his official acts as the president of the United States. And you can't charge a president of the United States for doing his job. You can't criminally charge him for his official acts. You can charge him for his private acts, like if he, you know, if, if, if he shot someone on Pennsylvania Avenue, uh, you could charge him for murder because that's not within his official acts. Just like you can charge President Obama, apparently, for capital murder, for drone striking to American citizens without a court order. Uh, but that's the issue is, is that you, you, have to, you cannot charge a president of the United States for his official acts, just like you can't charge members of Congress, just like you can't charge uh, federal judges. And so that needs to be established. The, the D.C. judge... Tanya Shukin ignored this. She, she said there's no immunity from criminal prosecution for, for presidents, which is just insane. The D.C. Circuit with two Biden judges and this you know 80-year-old Bush 41 judge went along with that and said, no, you don't have criminal, uh, you don't have presidential immunity from criminal prosecution for their official acts. That is insane, right? So that's why the Supreme Court is going to have to take this case. They are going to have to establish that any president, not just Trump, any president is immune from criminal prosecution for their official acts, just like members of Congress, just like federal judges. The Supreme Court will remand the case back down to Judge Chutkin, who will hold a mini trial on what facts are in his, what are the factual predicates? What are his official actions? What are his personal actions, right? And then you get rid of the ones that are his official actions. And if Jack Smith has a case left after that, he can proceed. But it, you that you have to have immunity from criminal prosecution for presidents of the United States, states or you're going to destroy the presidency. Okay, so, but then, of course, politically speaking and timeline speaking, Jack Smith now will not be able to rush that through, which is what he'd hoped to do, to do as much harm. I think it was like during the uh, March uh, the, the primaries that were taking place in March, they were all geared for a certain timing to hurt President Trump as he's running for re-election. It's just so convoluted. But let's go down to Georgia, because you did mention Fannie Willis, and this is kind of the, the most timely in our discussion today. Well, I guess I guess it would be a toss-up. But uh, this, uh, we're talking, you and I, on Tuesday morning, uh, the 13th of February, and this will air tomorrow on the 14th. Uh, but on the 16th or 17th, Fannie Willis is um, the judge in that case, uh, ju- the judge, uh, had a statement. Scott McAfee made a statement yesterday that was pretty jaw-dropping because he's trying to decide whether Fannie Willis, uh, Willis needs to be disqualified for the case because she uh, brought in her lover, the special prosecutor Nathan Wade, to be the prosecutor in this case. And, of course, this case has repercussions for uh, something like 14 others, John Eastman and Jenna Ellis and others. So there's a lot at stake here. And I just want to play, if I could, this is just briefly, the statement that uh, Judge Scott McAfee made just yesterday. Let's listen. Specifically looking at Defendant Roman's motion, it alleges a personal relationship that resulted in a financial benefit to the district attorney. And that is no longer a matter of complete speculation. The state has admitted a relationship existed. And so what remains to be proven is the existence and extent of any financial benefit, again, if there, is, if there even was one. So because I think it's possible that the facts alleged by uh, the defendant could result in disqualification, I think an evidentiary hearing must occur to establish the record on those core allegations. 
So just to emphasize, I think the issues at point here are whether a relationship existed. All right, that's the voice of Fulton County Superior Judge Scott McAfee, who's uh, trying to figure out uh, in his role uh, as a judge whether Fannie Willis should be removed from this case. Okay, so Mike, translate for us what that means. Well, there's no question that Fannie Willis is going to get disqualified from this case. So will Nathan Wade. This case will likely get tossed out, and then it will be up to a new prosecutor who is selected on whether that new prosecutor wants to refile these charges. But the problem with Fannie Willis is she hired her secret boyfriend for a special prosecutor job where she paid him $250 per hour, $700,000 in counting, when she had prosecutors on her staff who had a salary who she could have hired. But she hired her secret boyfriend. She lied about it and said that she wasn't dating him when she hired him. She was. But regardless, she admitted that she hired him before they indicted President Trump, right? So she hired him. She she came up with a sweetheart deal to pay him $250 an hour. She uh, hired him before the indictment of Trump. They indicted Trump. She paid him before this indictment to collude with the Biden White House, including the Biden White House counsel. He built for 24 hours on one day. That just shows you how shady this whole arrangement is. And with this $700,000 in counting that Nathan Wade, Fannie Willis's not-so-secret boyfriend, has collected so far, he took her on these lavish trips around the world, including the Caribbean, including Napa, maybe elsewhere, right? And she's been lying all along to the courts about her relationship and when it started, and she's also lying about who paid for what. And so she has a financial interest in the, the outcome of this case. She has a financial interest in the, in the form of these illegal kickbacks that she's getting from her secret boyfriend slash special prosecutor. And it is per se illegal for a prosecutor to have a financial interest in their prosecution. That's what's going to get her kicked off this case. That's what it's, what's going to get her likely disbarred, likely uh, facing criminal charges. These are very serious allegations she's facing, especially when she committed perjury with the courts or allowed her office to misrepresent a lie to the court on her behalf. It is very, Big Fanny is in big trouble in Georgia. Okay, so just to drill down on that, you explained it, but I want to ask another question here. You said uh, another prosecutor, by the way, I should say, Fanny Willis ran saying she's going to get Trump. Before any of this developed, what charges or whatever she thought she was going to bring, uh, she was smiling and has been very smug through this, at least in the initial stages, not so smug now, uh, that she was going to get Trump. That was her platform. So if she gets thrown out, uh, will this this will be an election again for – will it be another election? What should happen is, is the judge should dismiss the, the case. Uh, he can dismiss it without prejudice, meaning they can refile the case and then the state will uh, assign it to another prosecutor. They can bring in another prosecutor from another part of the state to look at these charges with a fresh set of eyes and make the determination whether they want to bring these charges again or not, right? And then all of these co-defendants, Trump and 18 co-defendants, all these co-defendants who pled guilty under pressure because they, you know, they couldn't afford to face the state here, though all those charges should get thrown out and wow. we should start from scratch. And if a new prosecutor thinks it's a good idea to bring a RICO case against a the leading presidential candidate and 18 of his supporters for the non-crime of objecting to a presidential election, which is allowed by the Electoral Count Act of 1887, twisting arms politically is allowed by the First Amendment. If it were a crime to object to a presidential election, Democrats would be in prison for objecting to Republican wins in 1968, 2000, 2004, and 2016. We don't see... Al Gore and John Kerry and Hillary Clinton in prison for objecting to Republican wins, right? So this this whole case is bogus. It's nonsense. But now we learn it's very corrupt. And so Fannie needs to go. This case needs to go. And they need to bring adults into the room to determine what to do with this case going forward. Well, well, thank, I mean, it's good news that at least justice in some large form seems to be looming. But it doesn't help President Trump, who spent millions, no doubt 
on attorneys plus his own stress. It's just, it's hard to watch. It really is, Mike. But uh, listen, thank you so much. Is there anything that you know that I have not asked you that's happening now, or is this kind of wrap up what's happening now? This is uh, this is good, and I would say this, that what I've been saying for the last 19 months since the unprecedented, unlawful, unnecessary home raid on President Trump with the presidential records he's allowed to have under the Presidential Records Act. I've done almost 3,000 media hits, constant social media, constant uh, opinion pieces, because I knew that this was very wrong, what the Democrats are doing. They fear that President Trump is going to win on November 5th, 2024, and they should fear because it's going to happen. So they just want to eliminate him. They want to impeach him twice. They want to indict him four times for non-crimes. They want to illegally gag him. They want to bankrupt him for non-fraud. They want to have some crazy woman named Jean Carroll take away his money. They want to just take him off the ballot like they did in Colorado, like they did in Maine. Colorado with four left-wing judges on the Supreme Court, and Maine with an unelected non-lawyer Secretary of State. Shana is just doing this. Well, guess what to these Democrats? This is all backfiring, and it's backfiring badly, and President Trump will be back in the White House on January 20th, 2025. Okay. Mike, that's a that's a uh, optimistic uh, good news shot in the arms. So I and by the way, Mike again is the founder of Article Three Project, and they you can see what work he does. I'm telling you, he's working constantly. You see him on the television all the time, just setting things straight, like he did uh, a hearing. Article Three Project can be found at Article Three Project dot org with the number three written as three. Article not spelled out. Article Three Project dot org is there. Uh, their website. I know they could use some financial help, and I can't think of anyone who's more deserving of your trust than Mike Davis. So, Mike, thank you. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. This is Sandy Rios of Sandy Rios 24-7. This is Sandy Rios 24-7 on American Family Radio. This is a week for talking about hearts, for getting hearts, for sending hearts, because it's Valentine's week. So that reminds me of our hearts. Did you know that a baby's heart begins to beat at just three weeks? Did you know that at five weeks, that heartbeat can be heard through ultrasound? Did you know by six weeks, the baby's eyes are forming? Did you know that by 10 weeks, the baby's able to suck their thumb? Well, that's why preborn, when they provide the ultrasounds and show these beautiful images, these Features of babies, the moms say, hey, that's my baby. I can't go into that abortion clinic. It's, it's that simple. And that's how preborn saves lives. And that's what we pay for those ultrasounds each and every time we make a gift to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy. I hope that you will continue to give on an ongoing basis. If you haven't done it in a while or if you need to update or you want to continue, please do go to preborn.com slash Sandy. Hi, this is Sandy Rios, and I miss you in the mornings. But now I'm hosting a podcast, Sandy Rios 24-7, which is available at AFR.net and SandyRios.com. Well, I finally finished that book. God's Velvet Hammer chronicles God's call in my life from a small town girl to Berlin, Germany, Radio Moscow to North Korea to Washington, D.C. I talk about Sasha Girl. That was my disabled daughter. I talk about I Got the Music in Me. That's a chapter on my music life. Lost in India and Other Adventures is hilarious. You won't want to miss it. I talk about my sweetheart, the blessing of Bruce. And then a mysterious chapter called My Green Face and the end of it all. Oh, I think you'll enjoy it. Like the Apostle Paul, these are my shipwrecks and my adventures. All for Christ and His kingdom. God's Velvet Hammer is available wherever books are sold. And remember, Sandy Rios 24-7 is available at AFR.net and SandyRios.com. Special Counsel Robert Herr finds no charges are warranted in his investigation to President Biden's handling of classified documents. But his report contains significant criticism of Mr. Biden. The inquiry was launched after sensitive documents, many marked classified, were found at the Penn-Biden Center here in Washington and at the president's Delaware home. President Biden just responded to the report saying, quote, the matter is now closed. I was pleased to see they reached the conclusion I believed and knew all along they would, that there are no charges should be brought in this case. I want to read part of the report said that Mr. Biden's 
conduct, quote, presented serious risks to national security, given the vulnerability of extraordinarily sensitive information to loss or compromise to America's adversaries. But addressing those risks when pursuing criminal charges, the only means available to this office is not the proper remedy here. All right, Sandy Rios back with you. I just have a few final words because I think this is important. And this is these were my thoughts last weekend when this was all unfolding. And since that time, you may have heard other people say this who came to the same conclusion, but this is what I think is happening. I actually think that this is kind of a planned, uh, a planned process because I think that I think that the left is and the Democrats are starting the process because they always plan. Remember, they always plan of removing Joe Biden from office. I, they can see the polls and they can see that President Trump is now actually ahead of him, especially after this report. Um, and so they are, even though I'm sure they have lots of plans for our election, uh, they also feel a little vulnerable. And I guess that's good news. But I don't think they're going to let Joe Biden be the uh, nominee. And I, I think he wants to be the nominee. He thinks he should be the nominee. He thinks he's great. He thinks he's wonderful. You heard him uh, defending himself at that press conference. Reminds me of that earlier clip we played in 1987. Well, I'm smarter than you, and I, I have three degrees from this place and ten from that place, my IQ, whatever. He goes, this is still the same Joe Biden. Yes, he wants to be president again. He thinks he's a great president. He thinks he's the only person that can beat Donald Trump. He says that all the time. He has a very, very high opinion of himself. So I don't think he's going to step aside willfully. I don't think they can persuade him. And so I think they have to somehow bring this thing to an end. And I believe this was planned. If it weren't planned, then you wouldn't have the media, even the Democrats, coming out piling on him uh, for his age that's the big thing right now, his age. Suddenly they've discovered that he's too old to do this. And so they're all piling on, all these media outlets, the comedy, the comedians, all of them. And I think that's by design. That's the, the talking points. That's the plan, the modus operandi, uh, because they're trying to diminish him and set the stage for taking him out of office. Now, I don't know if it will get so bad that they will invoke the 25th Amendment or uh, if they think they can get away with that or if they will just... Uh, uh, make it so hard on him because he's been flattered, you know, to his face. He thinks he's wonderful. Everyone tells him he's wonderful. And I don't know if they will cause him to be disturbed by this news about his dementia. I, well, or his whatever, it, what seems like dementia. Uh, I know, I don't know how the conclusion is going to happen, but this is what I've heard is going to happen. And I think it's a very strong hypothesis. And that is that, uh, he will step down. I think the convention for the Democrats is next August, that he will step down. And at the convention, uh, I think it will be Michelle Obama. I think that she'll be announced. This I, I don't know. I'm just telling you what I think. As she will be announced or step right in as the candidate, she won't have to um, campaign. Uh, there'll be very little time for President Trump, if he is the nominee, to combat Michelle Obama's, what, 64 million followers on Facebook. I'm making that. I don't know. I She has she's millions. I know that. Um, and so I think that's how it's going to happen. Now, people are saying, well, then what about Kamala? Well, personally, I think uh, Kamala, again, speculation, I think Kamala Harris can be bought. I don't think she really wants to work. She doesn't seem like a person who really enjoys working. She's um, She always sounds like she's on something, like marijuana perhaps. We know that she's fond of it. There's this, this laughing, this odd cackling that she does. And I don't think you could, you'd be hard-pressed to prove that Kamala Harris is out you know, knocking on doors. She's not going to be doing that. And I think that if they um, offered her enough money, she would step aside or some privilege, something. Uh, remember what they did with Carrie Lake a few weeks ago where big money uh, Republicans uh, who are not Trump fans offered her, they kept upping the ante. The Republican um, head of the Arizona Republican Party, who's been now stepped down, is on caught on tape saying, you know, what? well, if we give you this much money, will you step down? If we give you this much money? And she tells them, you can't buy me. There's no, you give me a billion dollars and I wouldn't step down. 
And he said, well, what would it take? So he's saying to her, whatever you want, that's what we'll give you. All right, so you think that can't happen with Kamala Harris? You think that there's not something that she would step down for? Uh, you know, like a, a, a wealth for a lifetime, for the foreseeable future, all the uh, alcohol and maybe marijuana she could possibly want, everything, uh, an island home, uh, a yacht. Oh, yeah, I think she, I think she would, as again, speculation. So I think that's how that's going to get handled. Uh, and I think we're going to be in a lot of trouble if this happens. And so that we kind of have to go into another gear in our thinking. Uh, we have to go into another gear. That doesn't mean that um, if President Trump is a nominee, that doesn't mean he couldn't beat Michelle Obama, but it would be a whole lot harder because it would uh, motivate voters, uh, get young people out. Uh, women love her. And uh, that brings me to another point. I'm planning on interviewing an author who has just written a book about this, well, not what I'm talking about, but about Michelle Obama and her past. And so I won't, that's all I'm going to say about this. But uh, when we do that, there'll be a lot more discussion of my hypothesis here. And so um, that's it for today. I just wanted you to really understand what happened with Joe Biden, his response to it. I wanted to imprint on your mind that he hasn't changed. He's the same man who has no character as he was back in 1987. And before that, who I've said to you before, uh, he and Jill, Bi Jill were having an affair. They worked, uh, Jill and her former husband worked in Joe Biden's campaign way, way back when he ran for Senate as a young man. And the way they always tell the story is that uh, Jill rescued him with his two, his wife got killed in a car accident, and Jill, this beautiful Available woman came into his life and helped him raise his kids. But according to Jill Biden's husband, that's not the way it happened. She was having an affair when his wife was still alive. The wife was killed in a car accident, and then uh, Jill left her husband, and, and the rest is history. It's not the story. You see, it's a lie. These are lies. Lies, lies. And it's true of so many people in public office. We'll find that out about Michelle, Michelle Obama when we talk, about, uh, talk with that author as well. All right, well, uh, you know what? Do I need to remind you that nothing happens apart from God allowing it? And do I need to remind you that uh, he hears our prayers? Uh, we see in Scripture that people praying fervently to him can actually change his mind. And he can stop judgments. He can prolong life. He can do a lot of things. So we don't want to stop. We have our future at stake. Our children, our grandchildren... We cannot stop doing what we know is right in this world until we know it's absolutely too late. And there will be a time when that comes. So uh, for now, uh, let's just st stay steadfast and do what we can to preserve this nation in every way we know how with God's blessing. So thanks for listening to today's edition of Sandy Rios 24-7.